Welcome to another vital message from Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor of Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Southeast Texas. We're so glad you're joining us. For more information about Golden Triangle Church on the Rock Ministries, visit our website, cotr.com. Enjoy the Word. Our message today is entitled, A Couple of Crumbs. A couple of crumbs. I'm not talking about that person sitting beside you on either side of you. Okay. A couple of crumbs. <laughs> this morning we're going to be reading our text from the 12th chapter of the book of Mark, if you want to get ahead. And while you are preparing there at home uh, to, to uh, read along, you'll see it on the screen there at home and also here, as well as perhaps taking some notes. Let me uh, share a little background information on our subject today. Uh, it will require me telling you a little bit about the temple of God. So let me give you a little uh, history lesson or, or, or let's see, uh, it, it may be a, a little, little architectural lesson, how, how the temple was put together as well. Uh, the temple of God in Jerusalem uh, was a very orderly place. Uh, it was arranged with really uh, great care. Much attention was given to it. And it was the center of life for everyone living in and around Jerusalem and also for those who would visit Jerusalem all throughout Judea, Samaria, and, uh, and all over Israel. People would visit the temple because that's where Solomon had built a house for God. And the Ark of the Covenant of God was placed in Solomon's temple that he built. It was an amazing temple. Uh, and so, uh, a uh, uh, little quick temple history, okay? King Solomon built the first temple in Jerusalem about 1000 BC. And it was beautiful. It was amazing. It was opulent, okay? And this, if you ever read history, uh, this is what is called the first temple period. It went along from about 1,000 uh, for a little more than 400 years till about 586. And uh, then Solomon's temple was destroyed when King Nebuchadnezzar II, the king of Babylon, whenever he laid siege and, 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 and besieged uh, Jerusalem, he also destroyed Solomon's temple. And he took not only the stuff back to Babylon, but he took a lot of people captive. In fact, you know, thousands and thousands of, of Jews were taken as slaves back to Babylon. Well, as the prophet had declared when all this was going on, these people, the Jews, would be in Babylon in captivity for 70 years. And so what we see is 70 years later, in about the year 516, wouldn't you know it? The Babylonian, Mede, Persian Empire, uh, you know, he said, send the Jews back to Jerusalem. And so Ezra, that's where the book of Ezra, Nehemiah, these things, Ezra led people back to Jerusalem, and they started building another temple. Now, the temple they built this second time was, was a little small. It wasn't as nice. They didn't have the resources. They didn't have the gold. They didn't have all of the, all, all, all of the manpower. And so what they did is they used the old burned stones that had been in Solomon's temple. Because what Nebuchadnezzar did is he set it on fire and burned it so that it would also char the mortar and that they could push it over and pushed all those and just absolutely pushed all the stones down. So when Ezra came back in about 516, they got these old stones and they would make three 
three layers of old stones, but because they were charred and because they had been burned, uh, they also used one row of new timber. You can read about this uh, uh, in, in, in the prophets. It's really interesting the way they built. You know, three rows of old stones and one row of new timber. You know, let me run a rabbit's trail for a moment. That's the reason why in building the church today that we like old stones that have been here forever and we like some new timber, you know? Like you, Jesus, we like some new timber, you know? New strong timber. You know, some of you here are, are, are newer, well, and stronger and younger. We need some new timber in this building and some old stones. And I love the way that they built that. So Ezra built it. But when he got it finished, it was really... You know, not what had been. And the people who had seen Solomon's temple, looking at this temple, they were kind of sad. And that's where we read when we uh, talked about it a few weeks ago. You know, uh, don't weep. Today's not a day for weeping. You know, rejoice. Eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions of those for whom nothing's prepared. That was done at the dedication of Ezra's temple. Well, you know, Ezra's temple stood there in its form being used as a place of worship for about, you know, almost 500 years, just maybe a little over 500 years. And along came Herod the Great. You remember Herod the Great? Well, uh, Ezra's temple officially began, by the way, the second temple period, okay? The second temple period. And then uh, in the year 20 B.C., 20 years before Christ, Herod the Great. This is the same Herod that, you know, tried to kill Jesus, okay? This is the same Herod that was really paranoid about everything. I mean, he, he killed most of his children because he thought they were going to take over the kingdom, and then he thought nobody was going to cry at his funeral, so he got together 70 well-loved elders in Jericho and put him in prison and said, the day that I die, I want you to kill all of these wonderful men who have been great men in Israel because I want somebody to cry on the day that I die. Isn't that sad? Well, uh, this is that same Herod the Great. In the year 20, he really wanted to make everything in Jerusalem look pretty. So he took on this task of remodeling and reconstructing Ezra's temple. He actually built around it and built onto it and added onto it. And he made it marvelous. Took 46 years for him to build this temple, this magnificent temple. Amazing. It was, it was really amazing. Herod expanded and reconstructed Ezra's temple, and uh, he built it to the same dimensions that Solomon's temple had been built, and it really looked good. Well, this is the temple, when we read in the New Testament, that Jesus went to. This was the temple in Jerusalem. Okay, so you kind of see how it kind of evolved. And when we read that Jesus was in the temple or went up to the temple or something was being done in the temple, this is that temple, Herod's temple. It's called Herod's temple. Okay, and uh, this is that one that, that, that Jesus was in when we get to Mark 12. It's the setting for our story today. And this temple was very interesting. Herod's temple like Solomon's temple, had different courtyards. Imagine this as a courtyard. One of the courtyards was called the courtyard of the Gentiles. What does that mean? That only Gentiles could go there? No. It meant the Gentiles could go there, everybody could go there, but Gentiles could go no farther than there. Okay? Everybody could go there and everybody did. They passed through and went through it, but Gentiles could only go to that courtyard. And then there was a court of women. Yeah, 
means the same thing. Everybody went to the court of women. Everybody went through there. Everybody went to there. In fact, it bordered the, 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 uh, the, the offices and the quarters of the priest where they lived. But everybody could go to the court of the women, but women could go no farther than the court of the women. And so in that setting, the court of the women, by the way, was the place where the offering boxes were located. Isn't that interesting? Do you know Dr. Paul Yonggi Cho from Seoul, Korea, who had uh, an, an, the largest church in Christendom, one million active members in the church in uh, the full gospel church in Yoido Island. Uh, he said to me one time, if, you, if, if you're going to make uh, an offering appeal, make it to women. Women control the money. He said, if a man wants to give $5, he normally has to ask his wife, do we have it? <laughs> and, and he said, a woman can always find money. She has money. She knows she can swap it around and find it and put it somewhere else. I thought that was interesting because in the temple, uh, history and archaeology show that, that uh, these 13 offering boxes were in the court of the women. I find that to be interesting. And each offering box had a designation. One of them was to buy wood. Why buy wood? Well, because there was a lot of sacrifice going on. And they needed offering in order to be able to go out and buy wood and, and have wood for the sacrifices. One of them was for the frankincense because they also had to offer some oil to make things smell good. And so you could give your offering for frankincense in that box. And, and one of them was for sin offerings. You know, you went to that box. Everybody knew when you sinned because you went to that box and dropped in some offering for your sin. And then, you know, different boxes designated for different things. You know, there was an offering, uh, there, there, there was an offering box uh, uh, for the poor if you wanted to give something to the poor. There were offering boxes that you could only put gold in, offering boxes you could only put silver in, offering boxes that were designed for brass. Brass being the lower and most coins that were of lesser value, most common coins were made of brass. But in these offering boxes, there was a minimum offering that you could put into the box for the poor. The minimum offering was two mites, M-I-T-E-S, two mites. Interesting, isn't it? The word mite basically means crumb. Crumb. That's where I got my uh, uh, title, you know, two crumbs. <laughs> okay. Two mites, two crumbs. Now, let me tell you how they figured this out. Man, it, it goes from a, like a bushel of corn, parched corn, and, and, and different delineations of amounts of money, all the way down to the mite was one half of one kernel of parched corn. Does that interest you? Each mite was equal in weight to one half of one kernel of parched corn. So the least that you could give, the very least that you could give as an offering was a kernel of corn, was two mites, was two crumbs. That's, that's the least. Anything under that was considered to be nothing. These brass coins were just small. And, and, and a lot of people would come by there for the poor and they would just throw in whole handfuls of these mites. I mean, I'm literally bags of them, you know. Well, this is where we find Jesus sitting. Jesus decided that I'm going to sit in the court of the women 
over by the box, which they call the treasury box, over by this box that is a, an offering box for the poor. And I'm going to sit over there and watch and see what goes on. Are you with me? That's where we are in Mark 12. I did all that to get to these scriptures. Wow. Verse 41. Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury. And many who were rich put in much. I mean, they just throwing corn everywhere, you know. But then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make a quadrant. So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given into the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had. She put in her whole livelihood. That means she put in everything that she had in order to take care of her and her family. You know, uh, perhaps, you know, I mean, all of her savings, as is indicated by many scholars and many theologians, imagine that this woman saved and saved and saved because she also had to eat and she also had to care for herself. And finally, she got enough. She got the minimum that she could take and that she could participate. Wow. Well, there are three truths that I hope we learn from today's message. Okay. The first truth today, number one, God looks down from heaven on the individual heart of every person. You know, here Jesus is showing us the Father. That's why he came to earth, to show us God. And here he showed us God looking down, looking and seeing what people do. And what he's looking at is not the amount, he's looking at the heart. He's looking at the heart. And by the way, don't, don't relegate today's message to money because money is just one medium of what we can offer to God. We can offer him our patience, our mercy, our kindness that we also can share with others. We can offer him our faith and our faithfulness. We can offer him our love. We can offer him our, 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 our joy. We can offer many things to God because there's a lot of fruit in our spirit. If you relegate this to only money and only going to a church and dropping money in a box, then you would be wrong. However, God did make it easy. Do you know the tops of these boxes in that day were shaped like a trumpet so that you could pretty much, if you wanted nobody to see that, you, you know, we're putting money in the sin box, you could go by and just kind of whoop, you know, and it would catch it. But there are a lot of things that we have to offer God. But God, without respect to, you know, anything else, God considers every intent and every act of every person. How does he do it? I don't know. But here we see Jesus watching, teaching us a lesson that God is looking on the heart. He looks down from heaven on the heart of every person. In Psalms 33, I was reading this past week, and, and in verse 14, I found this very interesting, 14 and 15. It says, from the place of his dwelling, talking about God in heaven, he looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. Well, I love that. I love that God is able to look down from heaven and look at all the inhabitants of the earth individually. Verse 15 says, he fashions their hearts individually. What does that mean? That God, God actually takes time with you as an individual. 
He considers all their works. He considers everything they're doing. I don't know how he does, but the Bible tells us that he knows your name. He even knows the number of the hairs on your head. He knows your heart. He knows your intent. He knows your willingness. He knows your desire. He knows your hopes. He knows what you have need of before you ask him on every individual. You might say, oh, God doesn't know about me. He doesn't care about me. He doesn't, he's not looking at my life. Yes, he is. And he is fashioning your heart. He's working with you, whether you know it or not. He's protected you. He's watched over you. He's kept you safe in times when you wondered, how in the world did I get through that? God is watching. He looks on the heart of every individual. He considers all of their works. Wow. That gives me cause to think. I have in the past asked myself, what would I do if I believed Jesus was watching me? Well, the real question is, what would I stop doing if I believed Jesus was watching me? You know, and it matters. It matters to him. It matters to his heart. It matters to me. It matters to others. But realize one of the lessons I learned from this is that God is watching. He's looking at my heart. He's considering my works. A second thing, truth number two that I learned from this lesson today is that the poor are not excused from good works. I think this is one of the bigger lessons that this teaches us is that no matter who we are or where we are in life, what we have gone through or what we are currently facing, we are not exempt from representing God in this life. We are not exempt from good works. Now, good works won't get you to heaven. But life is a message of faith and works. It's faith that gets you to heaven, not good works. You can't work your way to heaven. You cannot deserve it. If you deserved it, you couldn't have it. You can only get it if you don't deserve it. It comes by faith through grace. Salvation is the free gift of God. But once we are saved, we owe God good works. And even if you're not saved, listen to me, we'd all feel better if you do good things. Okay? If you're determined to go to hell, can you just be good here? It messes the rest of us up when people don't do good works. And sometimes people imagine that because they're going through something difficult or because something happened, a tragedy in life, trauma, something else, that all of a sudden they are exempted from what everyone else is, is responsible for. But that's not the truth. Life situations do not exempt us from doing what God has called us to do. Who could have blamed the widow if she had given nothing? Well, in our modern-day society, no one could, but that would not have impressed God. You know, who would not have counseled her? You need to keep this. You need to hold on to that. You need to take care of yourself. You don't know. I'm, 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 I'm sorry, but that is not the recipe for getting better. Eating your corn, eating every kernel of corn that you possess is not the recipe for getting better. You have to plant something. God gives us both bread to eat and seed to sow. Without respect to who we are or what situation of life we are in, no one who is poor cannot look around and not find someone else in a worse situation. 
No one who is down, no one who is hurting, no one who is afraid, no one who is worried, no one who is in lack, no one who is in want, no one in any situation of sickness or poverty or or frame of mind cannot, if they are willing, look around and find someone else in a worse situation that you could help, you could minister to, you could reach out, and in so doing, open the windows of heaven for God to bless you. For the merciful shall find mercy. And those that are liberal and those that share and those that help will find help themselves. This morning when I opened up my Bible, I read Proverbs. As I was reading through Proverbs, I got to chapter 11. And I was reminded that it's the generous soul that shall be made fat. And the person who waters others will be watered himself. Many times the key to our deliverance, the key to our joy, the key to our hope, the key to things getting better in our lives is making it better for someone else. Here this little poor widow who literally had nothing took her offering and gave it for the poor. Who... Who would be more poor? Who did she consider poor? Meeting the needs of others. And as I said, not just monetarily, but meeting the needs of others will open up heaven's windows for us. To close our heart of compassion towards others who are in need will dam up the flow of God's divine goodness in our life. I'm reminded of the poor widow during the days of Elijah. Do you remember there was, a, you know, about 800 years earlier, there was this poor widow. 1 Kings 17, uh, this, is, this is what uh, God said to the prophet Elijah. He said, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. There had been a famine in the land for a couple of years, it, it, two and a half years, and it was horrible. It was bad. Nobody had food. Nobody had water. And here God spoke to this prophet and said go to the city of Zarephath I have commanded a widow there to sustain you if I had been Elijah I would have looked around for a rich widow (laughs) I still (laughs) I can imagine Elijah was thinking oh boy you know I am going to be living in well he got to the city and he presented himself as nothing more than just a a homeless bum He had walked across, you know, uh, maybe it took him a month to get there, three weeks to a month, and he was, you know, dirty, no doubt, and sitting there, and he was hungry, and he was thirsty, and here he looked out, and here was one of the poorest widows the Bible talks about, walking around. She was looking for sticks. Why did she want sticks? She was out picking up sticks. No, she had not gotten Alzheimer's. She had not gone crazy, okay? She was out looking for some sticks because she wanted to start a fire because she had a little bit of meal and a little bit of oil enough to make one little cake one little biscuit well not a biscuit even one little cornbread cake and the the prophet Elijah said hey listen can you bring me something to drink bring me something to eat and she said I don't have anything boy this is this is the hole you'll get yourself in if you're not watchful Whenever a friend comes to you and you're down and out and you're all sad and things are not going good in your life and and they come to you and they start saying something bad about their life, how down they are, don't say, well, me too. 
You're there to help. You, if you sow into their life, you might reap exactly what you sow. See, this is, this is the God thing. God had commanded that woman to sustain the prophet, yet she was unaware. She was so covered with her problems. She was so covered with her need. She was so covered with her hurt. She was so covered with her future. She expected nothing. He said, bring me something to drink. Bring me something to eat. She said, I don't have anything. I'm right here gathering a couple of sticks. I'm going to go home. I have enough to make one little cake. And then me and my son are going to eat it and we're going to sit down and die. That's what she said. She had that mentality. I am going to eat this last piece of corn and die. The prophet Elijah said, thus says the Lord, if you will give to the Lord first, God's going to take care of you. Now, listen. Some homeless bum telling you that carries no weight. If she had come and asked me, Pastor, there's a homeless bum out here who tells me if I give him my last bit of food, I, I would say don't do it. <laughs> Wouldn't you? I'd say don't do that. Don't go for that. No, huh? don't do that. But the word of the Lord had already come to her. God had commanded her. There was something on the inside of her. There was a seed on the inside of her. And when the word of God was spoken to her, that woke up. That woke up that faith. And she had faith like nobody else's but because it was, it was her job, her duty. God was speaking to her. And when God spoke to her, she went ahead and did it. And when she did it, she, you know, she lived and lived and lived. And that little oil and that little, little bit of meal didn't run dry for another year, year and a half and they all ate on it and I have a feeling they got leftovers and had extras if they wanted it you know make me three today <laughs> you see when she gave even out of her situation and it was poor and desperate it opened up the windows of heaven she was the key to her miracle this woman acted in faith and instead of eating and dying you know she gave a little and lived well you see when God wants to bless someone he often finds a person who needs a blessing to bless them that's the way it is read through the Bible when God wants to bless somebody he often looks around for somebody that needs a blessing and he uses them to bless them when you're in need of a blessing you know you're in need of peace you're in need of joy you're in need of uh, you know a, a, a patience you're in need of uh, something Look around for someone to sow that in their life. And everybody gets blessed that way. Well, the third thing, the third truth as I close today is that Jesus is more impressed with how we give than he is by how much we give. He's more impressed with how we give. You see, this woman gave of her heart. He said all those rich people, they just threw in something and it didn't matter to them. This woman gave something that mattered to her. She gave something that was hard to give. You know, there are a lot of happy people running around. They're happy about everything. They, 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 they're so happy, like they don't even have good sense. It's not hard for them to sow a little joy in people's lives. But it might be hard for you to show a little joy. It might be hard for you to show a little patience. You know, come on, stretch. Do something that costs you a little something. 
when we do something that costs something, when we, when, when we step out of our comfort zone and do something that, that, that impresses Jesus, impresses God. God is looking down and he considers all our works. Whenever we say, okay, you know, I have been this way and I know this is my normal way, but I know this is not working for me or anybody else in my life. You know, all I'm doing is and I, I'm angry and all I'm doing is making other people angry. You know, you can sow anger. I'm going to flip that around and I know that I've been angry and I need a little joy and a little peace in my life. I'm going to sow a little joy and a little peace, even when I'm angry. Whenever you, you know, turn the tables on the devil as this poor widow did, something powerful happens. Because Jesus is more impressed by how we give instead of by how much we give. 2 Corinthians 8, 12 says, For if there is first a willing mind, that it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he doesn't have. If it's just a little bit, if all you got is just a little bit, give it out. If all you have is a little encouragement, give it out. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, So let each one give as he's purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. I can imagine two things about this poor widow that impressed Jesus. Number one, she planned to give. And that's what you have to do. You know, she had to save to give. She had to save to give. You know, I mean, she had to work on it. She had to work on it. Yeah, you might have to work up a little patience. Yeah, you might have to plan. Okay, I'm, I'm on my way home and I know my spouse and me, we, we fought when we left and we get home, it's going to be round two. You know? Okay, work on it. Plan. That's what she did. She planned. She had to save up. She had to save up. You may want to save up some on the, on the drive home and talk to Jesus a little bit and say, when I get there, I'm going to walk into that house and I'm going to shock everybody. I'm going to have a smile on my face and I'm going to hug my kids and I'm going to just sit down and say, oh, it was a good day. You might have to save a long time for that one, but save up for it. Okay. Plan. Plan. Plan when you're on your way to work. How is it that the people at work expect you to be? Do they expect you to be as sour as they are? Come on, do a little planning. Do a little planning. Get to the place where you can sow a little in their lives that, 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 that you need in yours. You can change things. You and Jesus are enough to change the world. You can do this. You can do this. She finally got the required minimum so that she could participate. And you know what I also imagine about her? You know, n number one, she planned it. She did it on purpose, okay? A lot of life and a lot of change and a lot of giving to others has to be done on purpose. A second thing, I can imagine she was smiling from ear to ear as she dropped her offering in that box. It was everything she had. But can't you imagine she was smiling? Why? Because she finally got a chance to participate. She finally got a chance to give. I mean, she didn't have to give. She got to give. She finally got a chance to do something for somebody else. She no doubt had, had been things done for her all of her life and things done for her and done for her. And she finally got to the place where she got to do something for somebody else. And it must have felt good. Don't you know? Don't you know that she was proud of herself? And don't you know Jesus was proud of her? He said he was. And don't you know the person that ended up getting those two mites that she put in there, some other poor person, don't you know they were proud to get it? <laughs> it just worked. Don't you love a happy ending? Yeah. Well, the Bible is filled with them. I love a story that ends well. What will be the story of your life. Tell me, 
How will your story end? You're the only one that can write it. And you're writing it every day with decisions or with the lack thereof. How will your story end? Thanks again for joining us for another relevant word from Pastor Ron Hammonds. Visit cotr.com and subscribe to our social media platforms to stay up to date. As well, receive more encouraging messages from our pastor and details of the work we're doing both in our community and communities like ours around the world. Today and every day, God bless.